Hello and welcome to Red Shirts. My name's Jake Donaldson and I'm your host. And as ever, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Maddie Zephram Cochrane Churchhouse and Nathan Teflon Cochrane Thomas. (laughs) (laughs) Without further ado, let's engage. It would just it would just slip off. <laughs> Teflon cock ring. Teflon cock ring. That's what they call me in the gay bars. Uh. <laughs> oh, oh, no. I, I took the day off when I wrote that. <laughs> Jake, you deserve the fucking day off after writing that. That was amazing. Well, welcome to the show again. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> I feel like we should just move straight on. <laughs> <laughs> I bet Zephram Cochran would approve of that moniker as well. I you know what it, he's like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he was obviously a, a bit of a player in the day. <laughs> oh, yeah, back in the day in 2160 or whatever it was. <laughs> We're talking about Zephram Cochran, obviously, because last week we looked at First Contact, uh, the, the Star Trek film uh, in which we first meet Zephram Cochran, or, well, sort of. Um, and today, following on from that, we are looking at uh, what I would describe as something not as good as that, um, <laughs> but, yeah. based, but based similarly on the same storyline. It, it, we're looking at the episode of Regeneration from Star Trek uh, Enterprise, which is a direct sequel to Star Trek uh, First Contact. Um, mm-hmm. So we get some Borg, we get some bad acting, we get some decent acting, uh, we get some... Mm-hmm. Re- we do? Yeah. <laughs> we get some really bad fake snow. Um, but, oh, yes! But, I noticed that and save it. on it. Save well. it. I'll, I'll, I'll summarise, because because <laughs> I, I think we all came to this with notes. Um, <laughs> like, like, we... We... we, we we listeners, Maddie had to tell tell us off for for getting into why we were angry before we started recording. Like, we, <laughs> yeah, we we couldn't wait to tear into this, and I understand from what I read on the <laughs> internet that this is considered one of the better episodes of Enterprise and season two in particular. So, well, <laughs> oh, well, before we get too far into it, Nathan, would you like to describe the plot of this episode? Well, I wouldn't like to, but I will. Um, <laughs> The episode starts with a number of personnel approaching some wreckage in the Arctic, the crash site of an alien vessel. They soon uncover a cybernetic humanoid. After the intro, they begin to (laughs) set up a base camp and trudge through the snow. There is apparently a lot more here, so they just start poking around with gay abandon. Uh, The scientists begin to examine the creatures who seem to have an integrated set of cybernetics and biological life. Excuse me. In the, uh, in fact, the two set the two, in fact, the two specimens belong to two different species, apparently, and the metal alloys are strange and unknown. Soon, the detached arms of one of the specimens starts running, 
the team is starting to get a little jumpy, but rather than take any kind of appropriate safety precautions, they just <laughs> follow a warp signature around. Uh, the Doctor is uh, left alone with the, the two creatures, and soon they begin to give life signs and start moving. He doesn't cry out or do anything. He looms over them, and then the screams of the good Doctor, which he well deserves, uh, <laughs> draws his fellow crewmates, who find the lab completely wrecked and the Doctor infected with something, as the final creature assaults them. Back at Starfleet, an admiral is informed and sends a security team to the Arctic. The base is abandoned and pretty badly damaged. Enterprise is summoned. Apparently a transport was seen leaving Earth at um, warp three and a bit. Um, Enterprise is ordered to find that ship. Dr. Floggs is called to examine the nature of the creatures. Floggs is quite open-minded about the process by which the entities seem to replace themselves. Archer is receiving a distress call from a freighter under attack by an unknown species. Archer goes to assist and soon sees the research team's transport attacking with some kind of advanced technology. The aliens respond by firing. Um, Enterprise fires back and disables weapons. Um, Archer decides to help the survivors. And Flox begins to extend and, uh, explain the nanotubes that have been inserted into the freighter crew. Flox does not think these two are any danger to the crew. Um, Archer decides to have a security presence anyway, thank you. And making the only sensible decision anyone will make in this episode. Um, <laughs> Archer discusses with uh, discusses Cochrane with T'Pol and about his wild stories about a group of creatures that attacked from the future. T'Pol points out that Cochrane was largely a drunken fantasist. Uh, Flox explains to... Uh, the Tarkalian, those are the aliens in the freighter, what happened? But soon the two patients are transforming and easily overwhelm Phlox and his guard. Archer brings Phlox around. Phlox has been injected with nanoprobes. Security heads um, to attempt to deal with the Borg on this ship, while Phlox tries not to panic. Meanwhile, Archer and Tucker are coming up with a plan of attack against the transport. They've not yet enhanced everything, so let's try punch through and knock the ship out. Uh, Though they have doubled their top speed in a few hours. Security continues to crawl through Enterprise. They notice some strange readings in the ship as the creatures continue their work and ignore Reed's warning. They are shot at a few times, but completely ignore the phase pistol blast. They're totally immune to them, um, being forced back until Reed can knock one out with a rifle. Um, at least briefly. <laughs> Enterprise's warp field is destabilizing. Archer orders Malcolm to get out of that section and drop out of warp. Once security is clear, Archer vents the section into space and looks sad about it. Fox and Hoshi discuss eating and how Phlox is feeling. He doesn't seem brilliant. Hoshi is supposed to shoot Phlox, which, you know, would be nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Malcolm and Tucker discuss... That came out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> oh, Phlox really winds me up in this episode, but again, we'll save it. Uh, Malcolm and Tucker discuss their opponent's technology. Reed has an idea to punch through their adaptive shielding. Tucker and Tucker and Paul discuss the situation and Archer's plan to rescue the humans. Archer wants to take these people home no matter what their state is. Paul points out that, that, that it may be necessary to destroy the ship, and Archer is not yet ready to declare them a lost cause. Flox asks for Archer to come to sickbay, and it seems that Flox's immune system is resilient to these devices, but they're vulnerable to Omicron particles. Flox gives Archer a poison in case he's unsuccessful. Um, in the armory, Reed is experimenting on modifying weapons to fight these creatures. The Enterprise catches up with the transport ship, and as it cannot outrun Enterprise, it drops to impulse. The transport sends a signal to Enterprise, disrupting their plasma network, and a hail comes through. 
you will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. Enterprise begins to take a pounding. Reed and Archer start to move, wanting to take the fight to the transport. Flocks is struggling to continue resisting as he climbs into the radiation bed and begins his treatment. Reed and Archer beam down as the enemy continues its assault. The modified weapons do the job and take down two hostile alien creatures, and they identify one of these Borg as formerly one of the researchers. Enterprise is boarded and soon weapons are adapted to and start having no effect on the Borg. Archer and Reed have a fight uh, fight one of the drones hand-to-hand and finally find the EPS conduit and still manage to shoot the drones because, you know, consistency is important. Um, <laughs> Enterprise has lost hole plating and the Borgs on these ship have finally adapted. Arch and Reed gleam- beam away after blowing up the EPS conduits. The aliens lose power. The Borg beam back aboard the Enterprise and the Enterprise destroys the transport. Flocks will apparently make a full recovery and uh, the creatures apparently transmitted a numerical sequence, geometric measurements to Earth. By the 24th century, the Borg will be here. Dun-dun-dun, episode over. Dun-dun-dun. Right. Thank you, Nathan. (laughs) Okay, so before we started recording, Mm. uh, Nathan, you said that you don't think that this is a bad episode of Enterprise. Oh, oh, right. I want to qualify that (laughs) statement by, by, by a degree, right? I think it is not a good episode of Star Trek. Like, I think this is, this is like, low on the like forgettable episodes at best like that's where i would put it in the grand scheme of things but this is probably the best episode of enterprise i've watched like, <laughs> oh no like what I mean, yeah so, what, what i've only watched it's... episodes for the for the thing so what episodes have we watched that terra oh the firma terra was firma was actually way better yeah you're right i've forgotten about terra firma <laughs> yeah so this is the second best enterprise episode no oh jesus terra no. firma is like still an order of magnitude better though don't i get mean me wrong. Which, which was terra firma this is how forgettable that was i the, find um, that was the uh, brent spiner oh albums. yeah that was good i like that one um, yeah, yeah come on and look we've established this can't be the worst episode of enterprise because as <laughs> no. Jake said, "It's not these are the voyages." Yeah, like, exactly. So, <laughs> like, the thing I saying, like about but, no, but the thing is though, saying the this is this is not a bad episode of Enterprise is like saying somebody is the nicest person in Al Qaeda. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's a that's actually exactly a, a brilliant way of, of, of comparing it. But the it's thing, a, it's a mediocre episode of Enterprise. I, I yeah. would say, I would say right. it's lukewarm. The 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 thing it does well, I think. I, I, I saw some stuff online because I was genuinely baffled why people thought this was good and it turns out that the rest of season two is complete shit. So it's like, <laughs> oh, so God. it being mediocre makes it good by comparison. But uh, the other thing they said is Voyager, and we haven't watched any Voyager Borg episodes so I'd be interested to see if we agree with this opinion. But a lot of people said the Borg in Voyager are increasingly less and less threatening and Voyager increasingly deals with them easily. And I think mm-hmm. what you can say about this episode is we go from two Borg to existential crisis very quickly. <laughs> and like, yes. They, they are the quick directing style and the tension and the fact that like I, what I really like about it, the, the one thing that I will credit this episode with is that the human Starfleet instincts of well I don't see why these creatures could possibly be, a, like you know, we should not assume these creatures are hostile just automatically is totally the wrong instinct, right? Like, <laughs> the the lovely, like, really nice instincts of future human people are absolutely the wrong thing. And every way through, they are like, you know, and Archer's being his old, like, hero 
like mode thing of like oh we've got to save the people because that's his we've spun his wheel of characterization and that's what we landed on for this episode <laughs> um, it's like oh why don't we rest which i can see like kirk and picard and, and like a bunch of other future starfleet captains being like yeah we should rescue the people but you as a viewer who know what the borg are and know what they're encountering just think no just <laughs> get rid of that ship when you can that said i have some problems with it <laughs> I agree with you, Nathan, that actually, in hindsight, this episode did build the tension really well at the beginning. Mm. It was dead scary. I was actually, like, turning the sound down because I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for that moment when the Borg would awake yeah, on the you, table yeah. and jump up and kill them. And you know it's coming. It's a really so it's, it's a really interesting horror film, like, horror episode where you know what the threat is and the characters don't. And all the way through, you're just like, don't make that decision. Don't. No. Don't choose. No, don't it's try like to rescue them. Alien, yeah, or any other of the sci-fi films that are, uh, you know, a, a homage to Alien. Any ones where they find some new life form and they're like, "Oh wow, look at this! It's so great! Let's go and investigate it up close." And you're like, "No." I think it's yeah. more like snakes on a plane. <laughs> In that, you know that there's snakes going to be on the plane, and you know at some point someone's going to get bitten on the boob by a snake. Which genuinely happens in that film. Pin on the boob. But, but, you d- but they don't know that the snakes are going to come. They don't know that they're evil, deadly snakes. They don't know what's going to happen. I've had it with these motherfucking Borgs on my motherfucking ship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, that was one thing that really... But like The whole like Archer... You know, we've talked about how Archer has a random personality. Right? Yes, but like, well, does he one, have a personality? Well, one bit that really pisses me off in this thing that the episode does nothing to earn is like when Archer's like, "All right, we're gonna have to vent that section," and he's like, "You know, get your people out," and then like they're like, you know, he vents them to space, and Paul's like, "You had no choice," and Archer looks really all upset and stuff, and I'm like, <laughs> "Fucking dude, you make you make worse decisions. Like you, <laughs> you are more hardcore than that in the first episode of this series." <laughs> You kill people that. all the time, Archer. Like, right, get over like, yourself. Like, you had like, to vent two Borgs. Ooh, big deal. Yeah. Um, <coughs> and I, I think am... it's because they want to set up this thing where Archer is like, oh, they're, they're still humans and still people. But I'm like, by this point, you should have scanned them. Yeah. Like, he, they scan on the transport and it's a big revelation of like, you've had them in your medical bay for like, like at least a few hours. Like, you could have worked <laughs> that shit out a while ago. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, I, I, this kind of leads on to the thematic problem I had with this episode, which I want to frame by first saying this might be because I have a bias against it because I think Enterprise is a bit meh anyway. Um, and I know in previous en- Enterprise episodes, we've talked about this kind of 9-11 mindset, yes. war on terror mindset that they have. And, and I started to wonder if I was sort of over-egging it a bit and I was risking going into Enterprise episodes with preconceived notions and then just having my biases confirmed. But this episode, I really felt that kind of unpleasant attitude that actually I Nathan brought it up, where consistently throughout this episode, the progressive attitude of looking towards the future with hope and treating alien species, you know, holding out that open hand, 
is framed as the stupid decision and the attitude of treating new alien species with hostility and with suspicion is treated as the sensible and the intelligent decision and I know that part of that is made inevitable by the fact that we know that it's the Borg and the Borg just happens to be one of the worst alien species that people in Star Trek ever encounter but I think the way the episode is written deliberately frames it that way to make those decisions look stupid so for for example when when the arctic team first rescue those borg and one the doctor says are you sure we shouldn't put them back in the decon um and then the 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 captain says no you know they won't be a problem for us just leave them out here it's not framed in a way that wow here's a captain making you know, taking a leap of faith that's a really honest and good thing to have done, but actually in this case is a tragic mistake. The way the script and the framing in the scene frames it, and even the way it's acted, frames it as this is a decision that is irresponsible. This is a captain that is making a stupid decision and that the automatic and sensible and intelligent response should be fear, hostility, and suspicion. And that pisses me off, right? Because that is (laughs) such... That is such a war on terror mindset. Well, contrast, like, this, this, it, contrast oh. the. I, I, I want, if I may, <laughs> I want to contrast how Picard reacts to the Borg in Q Who and First Contact, right? Because yeah. one of them is when he's in Archer's exact position, he knows nothing about them, and has people telling him to react with total hostility. And in Q Who, there's a couple of things that happen that I think phrase that whole like you know don't be totally naive and think that everyone is going to be your friend but you know don't you know assume hostility <laughs> balance or better is the scene where so so the scene where the Borg drone first beams into engineering and starts doing stuff and Picard you know goes out very peacefully he has his security with him but he tries to step out with no weapon shows he's unarmed tries to interact with the Borg drone doesn't work and then you know he he warns the Borg to stop interfering with his ship or he'll, he'll have to do something. And then Worf's response is to stun him. And then finally they manage to kill that drone out of a necessity. Then we have the whole message of First Contact where Picard reacts with abject hostility, mm. right? Like, violent... Because he knows what the Borg are like, right? He is violent. And the whole message of that film is don't be, you know needlessly violent yeah mm-hmm. because he would have lost more by uh, being yeah. over, like insanely hostile and insanely defensive yeah um and then this episode yeah like you, you i mean you you framed like a thing that was bugging me that i couldn't put into words really well i do have another thing that bugs me more but I, Jay, I we, we've just, ranted quite a lot so, so i wanted Jay. to just it, yes. finish on on that note that something that again irritated me expanding on the way that that I think this for me very much summed up how the sort of political outlook of enterprise pisses me off and I don't like it and I don't think it fits with the ideals that I hold dear within Star Trek just you know personally it's always been that kind of more progressive outlook um, is that you then have this dichotomy where on the one hand, Archer is supposedly, you know, intelligent, good, like practical captain because he's the suspicious and the hostile one. He, you know, they're, they're, they're having on the one hand, life is, you know, tre- don't devalue life, see life as a threat. 
But then on the other hand, he's supposed to be framed in this narrative as like someone who holds life really dear and who finds it oh so sad mm. that he had to vent those two Borgs out of the airlock. And I'm like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be a shithead, a parochial shithead that does, uh, doesn't value life. Like small C conservative, only care for your own. But then also heroize and glamorize yourself for, you know, your very parochial narrow care for, to like only your own people. You, you, you can't have it both ways. Either you value life and you look towards it with that open outlook. And then like Picard did, when you realise that actually in this case, the minority of cases you were wrong, this is a hostile threat that is going to kill you no matter what. Then, like Picard does, get the fuck over yourself and obliterate them because they're going to kill you. But here, they try to have it both ways. Yeah. And I think that is that fucked up I think it's kind of far right... Like, like pro-life mindset where they, you claim to value life, but actually you're just, am I afraid, am I explaining no, that No, yeah, clearly? you are. Because like, I think a good way to, to, to understand the difference <laughs> is that hostile races in Star Trek that are thematically speaking, a race of people end up, you end up making peace with it. Because like, think about the big, the other big enemy forces that are in Star Trek, the Klingons. TOS, big evil bad guy, hostile state. TNG, allied with the Federation. In TNG, Romulans, big hostile enemy force. DS9, they ally against the Dominion. By the end of DS9, the Dominion have a peace treaty with the Federation. There is always mm. an ultimate peace in Star Trek. The enemies that are can only be dealt with with violence, like the Borg and, and Species 8472 in... Um, Deep Space Nine and and a few of the other big existential threats are generally more, I think, forces of nature. Like the Borg are an unstoppable force. They're given a humanoid face for the purpose yes. of the narrative, but they're but much more, they're more an like analog a disease, to aren't something. They? A AI, disease or yeah, um, a plague, a or, virus, a computer virus. Yeah, like that is, and and you know. Even even I wouldn't say that you've got to sit a COVID-19 down and discuss with the microbes whether there's a peaceful coexistence <laughs> we can make out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, Jake, me and Maddie have ranted a lot, so I want to give found, you a chance to I speak. found the way to say it, to sum it up, what I was just trying to say. So Archer is framed as being a humanist who cares deeply for the value in people. And that's how this episode tries to frame him as that hero who cries when he has to put a few Borgs out of the airlock. While simultaneously his actual actions and his actual mindset, you know, demonstrated through his attitude towards Vulcans throughout the series, but also demonstrated in this episode to his automatic hostility towards the Borg, is that he actually doesn't view alternative life forms as people. In reality, he does not see those aliens automatically as people. His response was not to treat them as people and to treat them as equals. It was to treat them as an enemy. So that's why I don't buy this narrative that Archer values life and values people. Because he actually doesn't value the other. He sees the other as a threat. I think he's a shit captain and his hair looks shit in this episode. <laughs> like, it looked... He had a terrible comb over. Scott Bakula, go home. I don't like you. <laughs> well... I will uh, now <laughs> say something. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, important thing to to mention. Uh, whenever we're doing a an episode about um, 
Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, I do just have to point out that I still hate Faith of the Heart. Um, <laughs> I really like it. It's actually one of the only things that I really like about Enterprise. Oh, are you medically thick? It's, it's Maybe awful. I am. It's just so cheesy and kind of like wholesome Americana. And I think Faith of the Heart goes for the vibe that I think Enterprise as a show maybe originally wanted to go for but failed at going for instead they went really dark and depressing i think if all of enterprise had that same cheesy wholesome fun good hearted american feel that faith (laughs) of the heart has i think enterprise would be a lot more successful and popular (laughs) i mean i honestly do you say that it's like uh, this all uh, all american sort of americana type thing but it's sung by welsh singer uh Russell Watson, so you know. Oh, sorry, Russell. Take it back. <laughs> but the, the the reason I bring it up is one because I have to say that every time we do an episode about Enterprise, <laughs> just to to maybe one day we'll do an Enterprise episode and I'll just flip flop completely and I'll be like, actually, I've heard it enough times now that I'm actually really into it. Um, <laughs> You're expecting to be gaslit by, 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 by faith of the heart, yeah. Um, but the reason I bring it up is because I wanted to talk about one of the only bits of this episode that I did really like, which is the score. Um, and oh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't quite... even notice it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, and I looked into it, and it, it's interesting because I, I found the. I think one of the one of the things that you, because I think you can very easily not notice a score, like Maddie's just said, like either for a good reason or a bad reason. It can either be. If, if if the incidental music is done so well that it it swells something up in you or it makes you feel uh, yeah. something that, that... I feel like I'd notice it if I'd have watched an Enterprise episode that that's comes immediately before and after because I understand yes. it's very different. Because it felt very borgy, which I'm going to assume Enterprise doesn't do a lot. Yeah, well, th- this is the only episode of Enterprise the Borg turn up in ever. Um, so the the... This was sort of like, yeah, the score was kind of done in a particular way. And I had to look into it. And the person, and I've forgotten his name, but uh, the, the guy who composed the score for this, only he only did the music for two or three episodes of Star Trek, I think. And this was the first one he did, I think. Um, How weird. And so they don't just have the same person. They do most it of, all. It's just like... Most of the time they do. Usually it's... Um, uh, I've forgotten his name, but um, usually it's the same guy or, or a, a sort of a, a one of a pool of people. But they got someone different in for this, and they've had him do two or three other episodes. Um, and I think that he does a really good job in in setting a score that's that that it it, it sort of gives me this kind of reminiscent feeling of like watching a a kind of. Um, sort of 90s horror film like the Ooh. like the the remake of the thing or like uh the in fact the whole the whole episode has sort of reminiscences of John Carpenter's the thing anyway from the fact that they find something frozen in ice at the start to the to then it goes crazy and starts killing people and mimicking them and things like that but um but like yeah but the score is really good and i, I think it yeah like i was saying you can either you can tell a you notice a score if it's really good or if it's really bad. Um, but at the same time, if it's really good, you might not notice it. And if it's really bad, you also might not notice it. Um, but the, yeah, I, I think my point is that it, it, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about this. Isn't, and part of the part of the reason that I stuck with it 
and didn't because a lot of the time when we watch Enterprise episodes for this show, I get bored watching them and I, I I'm not paying attention to a lot of it because it's it not much is happening and I get distracted. Jake, well, I try, I do pay attention you? to them and then I go back and rewind them and watch them watch the bits I've missed. But I often find myself <laughs> like googling like better episodes of Star I, Trek. I to watch. would berate you for that, but um, during the. So I, I pay quite a lot of close attention to episodes when we're watching them because yes. I'm writing the summary and yeah. it's very hard not to. But I got like completely distracted in the like food eating scene between Paul and Thingy. That, yeah. like, oh, same. I did my washing like, up while that's. <laughs> I got distracted, had to go back through it and found that there was a scene before it that I'd completely zoned out of as well. Yeah. Well, I, I do this all the time whenever we watch things, usually Enterprise, sometimes Voyager, but like it's usually Enterprise because there's a lot of. There's a lot of static. Sta- yeah, exactly. There's a lot of static scenes where it's just people talking about something that doesn't seem particularly useful or interesting or move the plot along. Um, and they're trying to do the scenes. They're always trying to do. I think one of the Enterprise's problems is because of the, they've set up that thing with the Vulcan. I think sometimes they think T'Pol can fill Guinan's role on TNG, and I think that's what which that is discussion... so so inappropriate for yeah. for T'Pol. And this and this makes me really angry. She is constantly the handmaiden to to Scott Bakula's emotional crisis. And like, not only is there you know the the sexist undertones of mm. a woman basically of the female second command essentially being the emotional sounding board for an emotionally incompetent man. Um, you know, to further his internal journey. But also the fact that she's supposed to be a fucking emotionless Vulcan. For God's sake, to Paul yeah. is such an emotional and wreck I think the other that thing Spock they would don't... be embarrassed. Yeah. I don't think... I think one of the other things that they don't get about writing those kinds of scenes, the Guinan scenes... Because they, they, they happen in all sorts of Star Trek after TNG. Yeah, and yeah. they happen on TNG not just between Picard and Guinan, but that's the uh, classic example. Which is Picard always comes into those conversations with a view, right? Like, <laughs> like, like the, the 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 to use like the measure of a man example, which I think is one of the best versions of that scene. Mm-hmm. Is Picard is consoling himself with the fact he doesn't think he can win that thing, and you know he says, you know, Riker was very convincing. I had every you know faith, and Guinan very pointedly makes her point. Um, and um, and and uses a lot of rhetorical advices to get Picard to see what she's getting at, and then you know there's another one, another really good one concerning the the Borg, where like um, she fe- they're fencing, and yes. Guinan's actually in the wrong in this instance, and in the episode that's the viewpoint of the episode anyway. Guinan feigns an injury, so Picard stops fencing, so she stabs him and goes, "No, that's what happens when you feel sorry for someone who yeah. hit her." Like, you know, who's still your enemy. Um, and, like, but, but what they do here is, like, Archer's, like, got an opinion, and Paul's like, I'm going to just arbitrarily take the opposite opinion. And Archer's like, and, and like, it's just so, like, flatly delivered when, when he's leaving and he goes, well, I'm not calling them a lost cause yet. And it's that exact delivery as well. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no emotion in it. It's just like, it's just like, it's just like Scott Bakula saying, yeah, audience... To Paul, 
me. We all know that I'm not going to follow through on this. <laughs> so I'm just going to say it and then we can move on. Yeah. He's such a wet fart of a character. He constantly yeah. comes in with this mopey expression. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you say at least Picard always has an opinion that he's asserting and then he'll do this intellectual battle of wits with people and they have to talk him round. But Topol is constantly just glaring at him like she's his mum, being like, well, you know that that's actually very illogical. <laughs> and Archer's just looking there like, hmm, sad puppy dog eyes. Hmm. He's such a wet blanket. <laughs> he's, he's so passive. He's really, really passive. And then he constantly has to, quote, take the hard decision, unquote, like here when he blew up the ship with the rest of the humans' borgs on it. But there's never any actual internal like psychological turmoil that you see acted out for Archer where he actually goes through a decision-making process of like I fight for this I believe this so hard I'm gonna do this like you would see with Picard for example and then has to be sadly talked around and is gutted that he had to do the other thing at the end him and Malcolm British man blow the (laughs) ship up and are like fucking YOLO lads let's get the hell out of here they don't give a shit so I Again, I think it's there's this total dichotomy between what the writing is trying to tell the audience to believe about Archer and what the writing and the show is actually showing us about Archer as a character, which is that he's none of the things they're trying to make him out to be. Uh, he's just very, very boring. <laughs> <laughs> and doesn't seem to have much of a backbone. Well, I have Or another... convictions that he actually sticks to. I have another issue with this episode, aside from uh, Archer, which is which is definitely the position of the resident Star Trek nerd and tech expert. So you know, <laughs> you'll you'll have to indulge me for a little. We bit. We shall indulge you. So this episode seriously undermines the Borg, in, in my opinion. Because <laughs> in my opinion, these are twenty fourth century Borg. They're not like twenty. It's not like these are Borg on par with Enterprise. These are Borg from. 200 years worth of assimilation in the future. Yeah. Right? They assimilate ships like that. They should just be able to rip through the 22nd century. Like, they yep. just should. Like, why Beyond do the ones, why do the ones <laughs> on the transport not adapt? I pointed this out in the thing. But I just think the writers don't understand how Borg work because they're a hive mind and a collective, even if they're not in range of the collective unmasked. They've established a small collective on the freighter. So why, when, like, they start shooting an Enterprise... Um, and they adapt. Do the adaptions not take in on board the ship? Why? I noticed that too, Nathan. That's not just you being a techie yeah. nerd. That's an obvious continuity yeah. error that yeah. they had to put in as a way to make useless Archer and pathetic, you know, big yeah. girls. And there's a few Malcolm other survive. instances of stuff like that. Like in First Contact, which is where these bogs are from. They're the same. Like they should have the same capabilities as the Borg and Enterprise may be diminished by the fact they've had their ship destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, physically they should be the same. And loads of people fight the Borg hand-to-hand and, like, Reed knocks one out with a rifle But Like, yeah. in First Contact, the only people that had half... Like, there's a whole bit in the film this is a sequel to where Picard is like, fight them hand-to-hand if you have to. And the extra, who does a really good delivery of this, that, like, looks really shocked, you know, like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, he knows like, he's gonna die. I feel yeah. I feel awful for that extra, the one that he sends back down below to, yeah. to stand ground at his post. You know that guy got assimilated about 30 seconds after Picard yeah. said that. And, like, like it's, it's then, devastating. Then, then at the end of the episode, it just looks like the Borg are like, well... 
30 minutes is up, it's time for us to lose. Because yeah. like, yeah. why like, can't oh, they beam... Right, there's a, there's a group of about six... Yeah, there's about six Borg on the Enterprise. More than enough to assimilate it, yep. especially how badly damaged it is. The Borg don't care about individuals. Yeah. <laughs> they yes. would not beam back just randomly. When sh- when that ship's disabled, those gr- group of Borg would be like, well, we've got to continue our task. Because yeah. we are Borg. And we are relentless. They don't care about individuals. They just retreat, essentially, so Enterprise can blow them up. Like, they know Enterprise's capabilities. They've scanned and infiltrated that ship earlier. They had a signal that could disable it. They know their ship's disabled. They know their shields are down. They know what weapons Enterprise has. There is absolutely no way the Borg Collective doesn't go, oh, let's do that. But why did they leave Earth to transmit a random signal at all? Because I'm pretty sure those Borg could have landed at Starfleet HQ and, like, (laughs) Enterprise would have found, oh, fucking our planet is lost. And also, I just don't believe that Picard and everyone would have gone through all the trouble they went to in first contact and not done a cursory scan of of Earth just to check there were no (laughs) Borg life signs fucking left there. Really, like, there's just a load... And then, like, also, why the fuck... Did no one record what happened here? Like, I don't listen. I don't want to hear your, like, it's all classified stuff. Archer finds out there is a race of superhumans gonna come for Earth. And he only, like, the calculations they make that they'll be here in, like, a couple of hundred years just assumes that the level of technology they've seen from the Borg, which is assimilating their own, is the level they're at. I'm like, there's no reason to think that, like, this species isn't super advanced and could be there, you know, tomorrow. By the time Picard encounters them, he should be like, oh, these are the people we've been waiting for. These right. are the people we've been training for and, you yeah, know, like, for, for or we've at least created like, this entire armada for in the first place. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know how... I, I could see that by N- by TNG's day, if they haven't turned up then, then it might have been, like, considered a bit of a legend or something. But it just feels like, you know, there should be some records, there should be something... And like... I, it is it is very much a disappointment when I was in my head envisioning this as a, a prequel, like a meh prequel to First Contact. Mm. But you guys have both described it as a sequel. And I think that just makes it depressing. I'm like, <laughs> this is a sequel that does... 50% of what First Contact did, exactly the same, but shitter. Like, yeah, what kind well, of a sequel is, is that? These three episodes are supposed to be... The three episodes we watch are supposed to be a sort of arc, so the in timeline-wise, these Borg send the signal, which causes the Borg in q to start he- heading, heading towards, towards Earth. Earth. Q sends the Enterprise to intercept them. Then, you know, a little later we have the encounter with first in first contact mm-hmm. which then strands the Borg here which is why they send the thing and it's a big old time yes yes like, which is a which cool is not, idea yeah if you just, execute it yeah it's just not like I, I don't know how you do it maybe it's just always going to be a bit of a narrative disappointment which is an argument to not do the episode yes but well, like so agreed. initially um uh, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and all of that lot, the executive producers didn't want to include the Borg and they'd specifically said, like, we don't want to use any Borg in any of uh, Enterprise because it doesn't fit the timeline because this is pre-Kirk and there's mm-hmm. no, there wouldn't be any Borg and all that kind of thing. Um, and then someone pitched this plot line uh, as being, you know, like, related to what happened in First Contact. Um, and then they they were like, 
oh, it's th- oh, this is too good to pass up. We have to do this. It's such Rick a good Bloomberg idea. Greedy little yeah. fucker. Yeah, the, I've I, I just honestly... thought of the better way to do the Borg and Enterprise as well, and it pisses me off. We don't. I'm getting angry at an episode. I've okay, the idea right. I've just thought about that doesn't happen. <laughs> to to like be really kind to Enterprise, maybe we could say that the reason that the Borg don't just immediately assimilate all of Earth after they've assimilated the Arctic is maybe they were like too cold. <laughs> maybe, maybe being in the ice for a hundred years that actually fried their circuits, so they were kind of maybe they were like the, shit tier Borg and they few, needed to reconvene few, like, weaknesses in space. that I think makes sense. Like they don't seem to be able to assimilate people as quickly as they can. In yeah, first it's much slower. And, that makes and, sense and, with the freezing. And with the freezing, with the like lower level of technology, that that they're assimilating and adapting a Federation freighter rather than just you know wholesale. Like their weapons clearly do do a lot of damage to Enterprise. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. that is the end of everything. It's just a lot... It's a lot of the, like, personal encounters between Borg and... Mm. and that, that I don't like, because I'm just like, there's no reason for these... Like the, Once this has happened, the Borg should just win. So, like, I yes. think you should have prevented that happening. Um, but the idea, I think, the alternative, if you want to do Borg in Enterprise oh, thing, tell us, is we should have seen... Right, because presumably the Borg came from somewhere, right? Like, mm-hmm. there was a species that made or became the Borg. Mm. Yeah. Why do we not answer, or at least partially answer that question? So Archer encounters a group of people who are dying of some disease or problem or something, and they go to these desperate measures, and Archer is always talking about, you know, retaining individual like and the whole episode is predicated on a question that star star trek is really good at approaching and really good at doing those kinds of open-ended episodes where you're not sure sure of individual freedom versus the collective good of your society where the the people on the planet are you know need collective feel they need collective effort and are going to a very extreme very oppressive length Hmm. to do it and archer is advocating for individual freedom and ultimately a compromise is drawn out where this colony of people, you know, join the Federation and the colony of people that wish to become this collective do some experiment that sends them far, far away into the future. And it's like, you know, and just at the end of the episode, when you've had this like creeping tension of like the mad science horror story, because I think the Borg should always be a horror story. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, perfect like this creeping tension of mad scientists is like, the end. The the leader guy of the of the what will become the Borg say something like resistance. We we will come back and we will convert you to our way. Oh, we will assimilate you to our way of uh, our, our viewpoint, Captain Archer. Resistance yeah. will be futile, and you're just like, oh, that's what they are. Yeah. And then episode ends, and you're just like, oh my god. Yeah. Mind that, that would be much. You know better. what we need to do when what? we invent a time machine? Go we need to use it to send Nathan back in time to kill Rick Berman. <laughs> to rewrite basically, well, for starters, all of fucking Enterprise, but also every single time that you know DS9 and Voyager kind of veer off track a little bit, you would sort them right out. Honestly, what the hell? I know. Why are you not a Star Trek writer? This is amazing. I love it. Can I? Can I point Such out? Such a good idea. That that idea slaps. And it the problem. Really the problem is, up. Maddie, is that I have those ideas, but I have 
I am fuck all good at turning them into actual decent scripts. <laughs> yeah, but you could be the idea generator. You're the and ideas, then, man. And then Jake could be the script writer. Yeah, exactly. And then I add in the erotic scenes at the end. Because, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm good at. So, like, between the three of us, we could make a banging Star Trek script. We, we definitely could. I think we should yeah. do that one day. We should write we a short... We should absolutely do it. Write a, a yeah. short track and then send it to them and see what they think. <laughs> we yeah, could send I... it to FOTS Frakes and... Exactly. Like Dakota Fanning in that film where she writes a Star Trek... Yeah, because yeah, I bet FOTS Frakes never America gets bored of reading it. people's Star Trek scripts. I bet I bet that's a thing that never happens. Yeah, to but the people the people who send those to FOTS Frakes aren't people. Friends of, they're, they're not friends of his. They're not on a second name basis with him. Yeah, FOTS Frakes, friend of the show Frakes, is exactly that. Most people who send him things, he's not an FOTS of theirs. <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's something that was lacking in this episode, which I think made me grumpy, was any, like, quality trip and to pole character action. In fact, just any satisfying dialogue between any yeah. characters whatsoever. <laughs> the only satisfying dialogue in this episode was between the scientists at the beginning, who you unfortunately know are going to die, and it is quite scary. And then there was kind of a little bit with Phlox... Um, about, you know, oh no, poor Phlox is going to be assimilated. And I'm like, is this really yeah. such a bad thing? Phlox is 100% lawful neutral. The <laughs> clinical way that he was talking about that child he saw have part of their brain, you know, refitted at birth with a synaptic processor. And he's like, it was a very fascinating procedure. Why is this guy on Enterprise? I would <laughs> not trust him as far as I could throw him. He's creepy AF. So anyway, yeah. This, uh, Lack, lacking a trip, lacking into pole. Malcolm, British guy in the armory, was really boring. <laughs> Do better, Malcolm. Once again, Travis had zero dialogue to speak of, like <laughs> at all. He's literally, he's like Uhura. He's just relegated to being the black person at the intercom. Like he, he yeah. actually doesn't get to do anything. Well, it's interesting that you brought up how uh, irritating Flox is as a character, because mm. he's my biggest problem with this episode. Right? Not not Flox himself, but the fact that he's able to cure himself of Borg. That really annoys me See, that's me the other thing that's like, I feel like Picard should be able to just pull up in a medic, like, or Riker in um, Best of Both Worlds should just be able to go, mm, we don't know how to cure Captain Picard. Oh, there's this medical record about when something very similar happens. Let's just let him fall off radio. Oh, Captain's better. There we go. Yeah. It makes him so much less scary that you know there's an easy out. And and I know that, obviously, the whole plot of Picard is that they're looking after all the XBs and decalibrating them or whatever you call it. But they do that really well and it's so heartfelt and it's so emotional. And I can imagine that maybe 300 years after yeah. they fought the Borg a million times, they do have a way, if you've disabled an entire Borg cube, it then makes sense to me that if you can somehow shut down down the hive mind itself you'd then be able to take out one by one you know the individual yeah. borgs within that cube but i think i agree with you jake i think it's totally bullshit that once you've been infected there's this really simple easy 21st century technology out that you can just immediately have that's very very boring and it makes them so much less scary because the main reason that they're so horrifying is that they are inevitable yeah. and that resistance is futile. Exactly. Turns out, resistance, pretty fucking useful yeah. and not futile. <laughs> yeah, it's, it turns out that basically resistance is microwaves. And you <laughs> just, to just stick yourself in a microwave and you've yeah. cured yourself of bore. Omicron Delta 3 that shit yeah. and then you'll be fine. It's, it's just another example of really like annoying deus ex machina stuff that you get in later middle age track where they go, all oh, right, well, it's the end of the episode. We're not doing a large 
arc of this story. So we're just going to come up with something that lets us save our main character or whatever. Um, but then that they don't think about the ramifications that that has, especially in this context when they know they're dealing with a, 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 a set it's of a characters like the Borg. That, like Voyager and Enterprise for some reason don't get from DS9. Although DS9 does do it. I'm not going to yeah. say it doesn't. But there are a few episodes of DS9 where the writers are finally like, oh, we can allow the bad thing to happen here, right? Like, there's an episode mm. of DS9 where a bunch of cadets, elite cadets that Rom gets really enamoured with, um, um, take, like, they're on a training cruise on a ship that is, like, the same classification of, as Defiant um, during the Dominion War, and their training crews gets diverted because of the Dominion attack, and then in the attack all the senior officers die, and the cadets get this, like, like basically believe that they're as they're brilliant and as good as the experienced people and decide to go take out a Dominion warship and, you know, they give themselves all the field commissions of captain and commander and, and, and yeah. you know, chief engineer and Rom is like, I'm a chief engineer of a starship and Jake is like, No, you're not, you're a kid. Let's leave. Like, <laughs> you know, my dad wouldn't fight these odds. That's not what it does. And they come up with like this very like Starfleety strategy that you've seen a million times work with the adults where it's like, oh, if we attack just in this right way, they get creamed. They like, <laughs> like, and, and the writers are like, oh yeah, we can let the bad thing happen here and just let our main characters survive. And like, you know, that can be a mess or, and, and a number of more plot significant ones. But Enterprise and Voyager are like, oh, well, we've got to resolve it back to the status quo. Like, you know, we can't yeah, have... Yeah, but, but not even with Ensign Romero random extra for that single episode being yeah. killed off. The Borg don't assimilate a single member of the Enterprise crew. Yeah. Way to lower the stakes after we've just watched First Contact, which is, like, gut-wrenchingly horrific, seeing, like, swaves upon swaves of, like, Ensigns yeah, the, and, left, the, the, like, subbies getting the, I'm assimilated. I'm not sure how, how many people are, like, crew the Enterprise-y, but I can easily imagine hundreds were yeah, lost. Yeah, hundreds yeah. lost. Must have been. Like, Hundreds those escape pods they launch probably have, what, three to five people in? And there are not that many when they're yeah. abandoning mm. ship. Yeah. They lose so many of their crew from having, what, two Borg, like, inside the Enterprise-E. And Picard knows what he's fighting. Here, Archer's fanning about, like, oh, it's so sad I had to push two people at an airlock. I'm like, bitch, the odds were not even that bad. Yeah. They don't even kill... Even Malcolm British guy... Even when he's with his three security ensigns and you think, oh, well, of course, you know, these are the Enterprise version of red shirts. Yeah. Obviously, the guy that's guarding Dr. Phlox is going to get assimilated as well. Oh, no, they just throw him into a wall. Oh, the guy that's with Malcolm Britishman is also going to get assimilated. No, you know, the Borg just bongs him over the head and then Malcolm hits him with a rifle butt. And then again, and then even Malcolm gets attacked at the end. Does the Borg assimilate him? No, the Borg puts him in a sexy chokehold and pushes him up the wall. What are they doing? They don't kill anyone, and it just makes the episode feel very, very flat when all of the tension and the stakes came in the first 10 minutes yeah. with a bunch of characters that we didn't know and we didn't care of, that, but we knew were going to all die. Yeah. I actually cared about those scientists. I was really scared for them, and I really hated watching them be picked off. Then, when they're on the Enterprise, it's just like a heart monitor that's flat, like, boo, yeah, exactly. no tension whatsoever. Yeah, it, it sort of ruins the Borg in a way, because yeah. the, the reason the Borg are scary is because you, you believe that they will... That they, they will kill anyone that they come into contact with. And, you and it's can't... the fact that, like, on their second appearance, like, 
So, Q-Who, first appearance of the board, second appearance of the board, best of both worlds, part one. Ten? How many, like, minutes is it into that episode where, like, like the tension is ramping up for the Borg encounter. You encounter the Borg. First encounter with the Borg. The Borg tell Picard that they, they would like him. to You know, that, that he will help their takeover. And he's like, uh, no, not gonna do that. Then they kidnap him. Then the fight, like, then the Enterprise see Picard as a Borg and yeah. Borg Picard just tells them that, you know, yeah, I'm a Borg now. Resistance is futile. You have lost. And you're just like, um, yes, okay, right. You just you just literally hijacked the main character of this TV program. Like, he gets better, but like... Yeah, you know, but you don't know, know that, that when you're watching it. And and, and the first time, like, the first time, the, that, when that happened for the first time, there was an entire summer between the two episodes, and it was known Ca- uh, Patrick Stewart was under contract renegotiations. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't like, oh, he's definitely okay. Yeah. And they well, it, it's, kept it, it very secretive whether Riker would be captain yeah. or not. It's why, and I, I'm not a fan of it, and I've not watched it, but it's why Game of Thrones was such a compelling thing for a lot of people, because they would just kill off main characters and they were actually killed off apart in, in apart from in one instance that I'm aware of but like but like they would just kill off a main character who you you would normally think like oh they're never going to get rid of that person that's their main woman or whatever like but then they're just gone that's Sean Bean he doesn't ever die <laughs> unexpectedly oh fuck but yeah and i don't think you have to kill main characters off or anything like that all the time to make a good TV show, no, right? Like, but, like, but if if you don't believe that they are going to kill off anyone or do anything meaningful with... If there's no meaningful stakes, then it's not... There's no point watching it. that's probably like, the problem when I see the Borg in future... Star Trek that is set future of Enterprise. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, they could... They, the Borg might do something bad here. The Borg might succeed at something. Or, or the, 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 the heroes might take some kind of... Like, Wolf 359 mm. on its own is devastating. But here I'm just like, oh, well, I know that these Borg aren't going to win because the future of this does not have all Borg. Earth, yeah, so exactly. Yeah. yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um, changing tack slightly, would you like to know a, a fun fact, a pr- fun production fact? I've got a few... Um, yes, I would. Uh, so first of all, uh, the actor who plays the female um, uh, scientist who discovers them in the Arctic at the at the front, uh, Rooney, uh, the character's called, um, is played by an actor called Benita Friedericki or Friedericki, um, who is uh, the real life wife of John Billingsley, who plays Phlox. Um So, oh. so you've got Flox's wife is uh, one of the the scientists that gets uh, assimilated but they uh, they they never have any scenes together at all and they were never filming on the same day so, so they they would have to come in do the same show go home and then never see each other during the day so they never to be fair to i wouldn't have wanted to like you know make out with my husband while he was done up as flocks to be fair either yeah that's although true. having just googled him he looks alarmingly similar in non-flocks costume than he does when he is flock, his forehead <laughs> hasn't changed at all. It's still, and his hair is the same. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? They were just like, yeah, we like the look of this guy. Let's alien fire him. What do we do? A uh, little bit of bumpy forehead, lads. Yeah, that's it. Done. I mean, that's the Star Trek way, though, isn't it? Bumpy, yeah. bumpy forehead, <laughs> bumpy nose. It's just. I'm going to create a forehead that is so bumpy. Just make a different type of bumpy facial feature, and that's how you turn someone into <laughs> a, a, 
<laughs> into a, an alien. Uh, an alien. Yeah. And my other fun production fact is um, at the start, when you see all the debris of the um, of the Borg cube that's been destroyed and everything, um, that all of the debris that is sorry the Borg sphere that's been destroyed, all the, all the debris that you see sort of jutting out of the the snow and everything, is all repurposed sets from old Star Trek. Um, mm. Oh, that's nice. But it, hey, it, it's well in, done, Enterprise. It includes. Um, uh, the uh, filming model of the Enterprise E of the Saucer section. <laughs> that's very ironic. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, so that that's the one that's made for the. It was made for the crash sequence in Nemesis. Um, but the uh, yeah, so that 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 in the back that makes up some of the. Uh, and you can see it when you know that it's there, and you look back at it, you can see which bits of the saucer section of uh, of the Enterprise E. But I thought that was quite a fun little fact. Uh, but yeah, other than that, there weren't that many fun production facts about this episode that I could find because it seemed very Because <laughs> Enterprise dull. isn't fun. Yeah, exactly. But that, that is a really cool fact, and that does make me happy. The, uh, there is something else about this episode that I think what did bring us a, 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 a joy, a little spark and a glimmer to my eye of happiness, Yeah. Um, which is I really like that Enterprise has gone all in to confirm the flat earth Hitler ice wall in the Arctic Circle. <laughs> They were like, you know what? There is an ice wall. And you know what? There are, like, zombies. <laughs> like, zombies that will kill you. Genocidal zombies are living inside the ice wall. Yep, that's it. True. Flat Earth confirmed. <laughs> Thank you, Enterprise. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. But, yeah, that's headcanon. Now that, uh, <laughs> that it's these Borg that were buried in the ice in the Arctic that are the reason that we that we believe or that people believe in they're, they're like the the fossil they were buried evidence. there by hitler yeah they're like that borg was was just hitler yeah. waking up inside his ice wall that first one. <laughs> oh can you imagine right, if hitler you officially was officially lost it now which is a bad point <laughs> well, the podcast. well it feels like this is a good point to start uh winding down and discussing the important questions once again about this episode um so importantly Maddie, we need to first ask who in this episode, and I am only addressing this to Maddie now because I know Nathan's gonna zone out at this point. But Maddie, yeah, I'll check my email for <laughs> Who in this episode is most likely to wear a fez? Okay, so did you guys notice the sort of dark grey wraparound jumpsuit thing that Topol was wearing towards the end yes. of the episode? Because she looked incredible <laughs> and i think it would be hilarious if every time she wore that sexy beautiful <laughs> very professional outfit and was also delivering monologues about morality to captain archer in a very serious vulcan fashion in her voice that is always like this <laughs> she also just had a little fez perched <laughs> on the edge of her hair i think that would be good my uh, suggestion was going to be and you touched on this earlier maddie because of how bad Captain Archer's hair is in this episode. I think he should wear the fez just to cover it up a bit, just to give him just, a little bit. Yeah, but also to cheer him the fuck up. Yeah. Because he's a miserable bastard. <laughs> Every time he comes in, he's like, oh, Archer, oh, yes, being a captain is hard. Oh, the yeah. war on terror. Oh, the, what a burden I carry upon my shoulders. Oh. Yeah, put a funny little hat on him. Seems a bit cheerful, but, uh, a bit more cheerful, doesn't he? I think yeah. that's fair enough. Okay, then it's a second important question is the Klim question. Uh, Klim is a space Karen, so who in this episode is most likely to ask to speak to the manager? <laughs> um, I I kind of left field here 
but like um I feel like one of Phlox or uh Hoshi in that like interaction they have is like like they're very like irate about their situation. Like you know when Phlox is like why have you got a face pistol? Oh, I've got to shoot you if you're a problem. He's like, I hope you use the stun setting. Like, that's one. Like, we <laughs> cut away just before he could go, well, I want to speak to Lieutenant Reed. I'm, this is outrage. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, Why have you brought me? my dinner in disposable packaging? That's not very good for the environment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, that, I think that's fair enough. Because, again, my suggestion was uh, going to be uh, to Paul for... Um, if, if just because but that's just because she gives off general Karen vibes yeah. she doesn't do anything particularly Karen-y in this episode yeah. but all Vulcans look like they want to complain to the manager I, that's just how they roll I was going to suggest that th- and this isn't really a Karen thing but this is just someone who I think should complain to the manager um, oh. is uh, is it Trevor the, uh, the the black guy who who we talked about earlier who doesn't do anything um, Travis Travis that's it yeah he he should complain to the manager about the fact systemic that, racism in the workplace. Well, yes, exactly. About the <laughs> fact that he doesn't he doesn't get anything to do and he never gets given any proper responsibilities. So he should be complaining to to Captain Archer about that. Um, yeah, and you know what he should complain about as well as you know the fact that he's continually sidelined as a minor character, even though he's supposed to be the main cast. <laughs> he should complain about the fact that Malcolm Reed, right? He's the head of security. They've got all these phases. Malcolm, they've got the phases on whatever shitty setting they have them on. And then Malcolm's like, oh no, they're not working. Oh, well, I guess <laughs> I could just recalibrate the phases to be 10 times more powerful. That what? scene what? really irritated me. I've just what? remembered that what? one. It really pisses me off because Worf has to like go through like loads of different EM bands and he can get two shots at best. And all, all the fucking read does is just like be like, more mega jewels. Literally the opposite of what Star Trek teaches you is that brute force always works. <laughs> anyway. yeah, and also, Ask the, the last question before I get more Americans. annoyed. These guys are Americans. If they knew that all of their phasers could just, with like a piss poor effort that takes about five minutes, be recalibrated to have like ten times more power, all of their phasers would be like that all the time. Yeah, exactly. What the hell? That would be the standard setting. (laughs) Hell, even in TNG and TOS that aren't that bad, I feel like they don't arbitrarily, unsafely, like, limit their phasers. Like, I think they they would do it if, putting it on that maximum setting had some, like, negative consequence. But I feel like, while routinely they don't, they always have the maximum power of the phaser just well, available by a button press. Yeah, yeah exactly. and Kirk it's is like... very hesitant about telling people to put phasers to kill. Like, that's a big deal when Kirk actually tells people to do that. Like, the majority of the time, even in the middle of battle, when they are fighting to the death, they still have phasers on set to stun. So it is ridiculous and Malcolm's just there like, oh yeah, turns out, mate, that we can actually uh, blow through like about 15 yards of solid concrete. Who knew? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, okay. Also, fun point just before I move on to the final question. Um, That scene in the armory where he's testing the gun and everything and and he's doing that, that whole thing wasn't originally in the script, but it came in so short that they just added it in because they needed extra stuff to do. So, yeah. If you made your Borg episode so short, I mean, that really tells you something that you're, like, missing. Well, yeah. Missing fruitful dialogue and fruitful relationships between these characters. That is 100% what Enterprise is missing. The only characters who seem to have any meaningful relationship, as far as I can see, are 
to Paul and Archer, whose relationship, as I've explained already, is boring and sexist. <laughs> and Trip and to Paul, whose relationship is sexist, but also sexy, so I don't care. But everyone else, like, they work together, but they're so flat all the time. Well, speaking of sexy, uh, let's move on to the final important question, which, as ever, is which character is most likely to have tried to suck their own cock? It's. I think it's hard to. Uh, it's difficult. I mean, I'm tempted to to say flocks when because he. <laughs> but we already said him like every. Yeah, I know. Episode. Everything and, and if like anything, this this is the episode is they where either all would or none of them would. Yeah. that's the problem with Enterprise. They're so flat. Travis would because he's fucking bored. Yeah, and he has <laughs> that's to true. Do. Yeah, he's bored and we would just do it for the crack. Um, we right. just do yeah, it to I'm make to things on the that. bridge. He's like, you know what? It's another miserable day, another miserable, depressing day on the grey, depressing Enterprise where everything looks like it's made out of gunmetal and it's grey and it's boring and miserable. <laughs> Archer's come in and he looks like he's kind of sad and he's like worried about something. What's new? You know what? Let's mix things up in here. <laughs> Let's just suck my own cock in the middle of the bridge. Make things exciting. <laughs> I was going to say that... Um... If they have them, I would think Dr. Flox's pet slugs would be trying to do it because they obviously haven't been fed properly recently. And so they're, they're just doing it like out of necessity, trying to eat themselves. Maybe the slugs also suck Flox's cock. <laughs> That's why he keeps them around. They're not slugs. They're, they're like sort of big kind of leeches and they, oh, yeah. he puts them on his knob and then they sort of they suck on them. <laughs> That's why. That's how he gets the Borg nanoparticles. That's the real out. cure to Borg. And if and you that's want why more of this, if you want more of this content, like... remember to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. <laughs> I think that's, that's, why that's he my head. So in pain when he went inside the chamber when they said he was going to get blasted by Omicron particles. He's not. What he's actually doing is just quickly <laughs> getting this look out, and then he's like, and, he, and that's why he looks so annoyed when Hoshi came in with all the food for his slugs because he's like, bitch, my slugs don't actually eat food. I just make that up. So yeah. People don't know. They eat cock. What they really eat is <laughs> my dick. And this, this makes sense as to why there's no uh, medical <laughs> medical records that tell the future crews how to, <laughs> yes, how to cure Borg because, because he didn't. He was too embarrassed Fox's to put records, it down. <laughs> All of Fox's records had to be destroyed because they were too disgusting. Yeah. When like Starfleet HQ were like reading over the records, they were like, "This is obscene." Yeah. Like future <laughs> medical students cannot lay eyes on this; it's utterly obscene. So they burnt it, and that's why no record of the cure for being a Borg remains. Yeah. For okay. Card. Well, that's that's headcanon then. That uh, the cure for the Borg is <laughs> sucking it out through your dick with a giant space slug. <laughs> and. <laughs> And that seems like a good place to end. So, uh, as ever, if you want it, please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five star review, they're really helpful. And uh, you can contact us on social media at Red Shirts Cast on uh, Instagram. Nathan is laughing so much. <laughs> I just had I just flashed back to the Teflon cock ring and then wondered if the two were combined. Like he puts it on and then the the, the, the the slugs suck it out and when the, the cock ring falls off is when you know the ball. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> That's why 
That's why no one believes Ephraim Cochran's speech at the JFK <laughs> Centre or wherever it was. Because he was like, guys, you've got to listen to me. You've got to make a cock ring out of slugs. He's not the dog. And they were like, oh, fuck, guys. Ephraim's drunk again. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. <laughs> oh, wait. So is the cock ring made out of slugs or is the cock ring an accessory? An accessory to the slugs. That Answers on a postcard, listeners. Uh, <laughs> I, think that, I think that's all we've got time for. Um, I hope it is. <laughs> follow us on social media at RedShirtsCast uh, on Instagram and Twitter or send us an email RedShirtsCast at gmail.com Otherwise all that's left to say is live long and prosper and goodbye. Bye! Bye!